Hello everyone, I'm Simon Ford of Forge Gin. Martinis, gin and tonics, Negronis, great classic cocktails is what I'm about. But I also love to hear of great recipes from great bartenders from around the world, which is why we've partnered with Beyond the Drink for this season. Cheers. Well, you just heard from the man himself, Simon Ford, and this season of Beyond the Drink is presented by Ford's Gin. I'm Cappy, and in this series, we're going to hear from some of the best bartenders in the country as they share the stories and recipes behind their favorite drinks. Beyond the Drink is a spinoff of Beyond the Plate, our podcast that sits down with the world's culinary elite to explore their journey into the food industry and the social impact they have made in their community. So if you're new to Beyond the Drink, welcome. If you listened before, we're so glad you're back. We hope this episode inspires you to create a delicious cocktail or, like the bartenders we feature, make a difference in your community. To get the cocktail recipe we discuss in this episode, you can check out the episode notes in your podcast player or go to beyondtheplatepodcast.com. One more thing, we have some awesome Beyond the Plate merch. You can find a link in your podcast player or go to our website, beyondtheplatepodcast.com. Head on over and check out our hats, tees, hoodies, and more. Again, that's beyondtheplatepodcast.com. Enjoy this week's episode. All right, Vlad, for all of our Beyond the Plate podcasts, we like to ask our chefs to name three of something. So for you, our bartender, we're going to ask you to name three fruits or vegetables that you think work well in a gin cocktail. In a gin cocktail or a gin tonic specifically? I like where you're going with this. Let's go three that work in a gin tonic. I would just say, obviously, lime and then grapefruit. God, I'm just doing the citruses already. Oh, fine. Lemon. Just It's just all the citrus. But I think for cocktails, I really, really like kiwi. And I love, for like a more savory, like tomato. Love it. All right. You sound good. Let's do this. Today's guest spent several years in Chicago developing cocktail programs for various bars and lounges and then found his way into the hotel world. He spent three years as the director of cocktails and culture at the Peninsula Chicago before making his way to Washington, D.C., where he currently resides. You can find more on him in the episode notes and follow him on Instagram at Vlad is loving it. That's at V-L-A-D-I-S-L-O-V-I-N-G-I-T. Please enjoy this episode as we go beyond the drink with Vlad Novikov. What's up, Vlad? Oh, just hanging out, you know. It's a beautiful uh, day here in Washington, D.C., nation's capital. Chicago misses you here, Vlad. No, I miss it too. It's okay. I'll be back soon, Chicago. Don't worry. All right, man. Our listeners of Beyond the Plate know that we love a good speed round. And so we've been kicking off these Beyond the Drink episodes with a cocktail-themed speed round. Our first bartender episode was Sean Licklider out in LA. We went a little spirit forward and bold. For our second one with Haley Traub, we went a little bitter and boozy. And for you, let's go fruit forward since we started there and fun. All right, you ready? Yeah. Number one, name the cocktail that inspired you to get behind the bar. Man, I mean, I think the first cocktail I ever made was gin tonic. All right. Name a smell behind the bar you love. When you're peeling a ton of citrus before service, and it just, and especially if it's an old peeler, it just aromatizes the whole space. Name a smell behind the bar you hate. Egg white. Even if everything's clean, you just can smell a bar that makes a lot of Pisco sours. Where do you go for a cocktail on your day off? I go for a cider on my day off. A cider. (laughs) All right. How about what's the last cocktail you took a picture of on your phone? I think it was probably, I had a freezer Negroni. Ooh, let's get back to that. Last one. 
the one gin cocktail everyone needs to try. Besides the one that I'm recommending? It could be the one you're recommending. I think the one everyone needs to try, I think it's a proper gin martini. I think everyone has a special moment in their life where it's the right time, it's the right place, and it just kind of clicks and they get it. But you can't rush these things. I like it. We got some business to take care of. Talk to me about your freezer Negroni. Oh, so this is a bit of a trend, but I am so here for it. A lot of people have been talking about freezer martinis and freezer Negronis and freezer Manhattans, but basically combining and pre-diluting your stirred cocktails and pouring it straight out of the freezer. And I was just in the UK and I brought back these tiny little canned pocket Negronis and it's a single serving. So you literally pop the can and I have martini glasses in my freezer at all times. <laughs> so it's Literally, you pop the can, you pour it. It's so basic, but I love it. It, it was delicious. Amazing. I had to take a picture. And it's so cute. Big Negroni fan over here. By the way, Haley Traub did a really fun Negroni the other week. She did El Porto Negroni. Pretty cool drink. Let's talk about the cocktail you brought for us today. We want to hear what inspired it and all the things behind it. All right. So let's talk about the hanky panky. First of all, it's just so fun. You almost giggle when you say like, ooh, a little hanky panky. People talk about the a lot of quality of the drinks, but more than anything, it's got to sound fun or sexy or interesting when you're ordering it. I always get thrown off when people have cocktail names that are like a sentence and a half long. I was like, oh, what's the what's your newest cocktail? Oh, it's the evening at summertime on the pier. And I'm like, God, cannot order that. So it's got Great name, number one, Hanky Panky. It's a little bit naughty, but still a little bit innocent as well. So you kind of feel fun ordering it. But it was made by Ada Coleman, who's basically our only real female bartender of record of fame that we have from the golden age of cocktails. She was at the American bar at the Savoy. And it's delicious cocktail. It's classic. It's said that she made it for one of her bar regulars after he was like, oh, I need something to bring me back to life. And she spent hours apparently working on this and came up with a simple cocktail with Eagle Parts gin, sweet vermouth, and some Fernet Branca with a little orange peel. But that's kind of the history of the drink. And I think it's an amazing gateway drink for gin people or for people that don't like gin. I think it's an amazing way to kind of express different gins or express bartender style. And a lot of times like we as bartenders get really focused on like, oh, what's your spec? I think a lot of like really great classic cocktails that can be expressed in parts have a little elegance and something really special about like, oh yeah, it's equal parts. Well, how much? Like, it doesn't matter. About the same amount. Don't stress about it. That's why I also love the Americano. Even if you make it wrong, it still tastes good. I think that's probably my favorite gin cocktail. When I used to bartend more regularly, a lot of times people would come in, they're like, oh, I want a cocktail, anything but gin. And I would get that a lot. And this was always one of those cocktails where, you know, if they were open to it, if I was being good natured about it. I might be like, hey, try this out. If you don't like it, I'll make you something else. And I can't tell you how many times I got people who were like, oh, this is amazing. You know, what's in it? I'm like, oh, it's like half gin. And they're like, what? I think it's a really good like gateway gin cocktail for people. What do you think it is that like people think they hate gin? What is it about this drink that makes them like it? Is it just the melding of the flavors work so well together? I think it does. I think the melding does. I think like really great cocktails, they're more than the sum of their parts. And I think this cocktail definitely does that. It definitely leans a lot if you have great vermouth on that. Of course, Fernet is very, very powerful. So even a couple dashes or a bar spoon, whatever you're using, I think really does a lot to transform the cocktail. I think for me, the really pretty part is where 
you kind of can't tell where the botanicals and the vermouth end, where the frenet end, and where the botanicals and the gin begin. And I think that's kind of why it plays really well together and why like a great hanky-panky can be that gateway. Is this cocktail, does it serve as like a base for other ones or do people like spring off of it to do more? Yeah, there are so many great hanky-panky riffs. One of my like wildest memories, I was in New York not wild, like in terms of actually wild, but wild in terms of you order a drink and then the thing that ends up coming to your table, you're like, is this what I ordered? I remember I was in New York and I feel like New York is known for having a drier, boozier palate than perhaps Chicago. And I remember I ordered a hanky panky and they had sent me like a two to one or four to one Navy strength gin cocktail with maybe, I mean, it had to have been a quarter ounce or more of Fernet. And it was boozy and bitter and aggressive. And I was like, this cannot be the same cocktail. So I think it's also like interesting because like you, I feel like with the hanky panky, you never really know what you're going to get depending on who you're ordering it from. It can go a lot of different ways depending on the gin and the vermouth and the bartender. That's so interesting. You know, it's funny. You just brought up a memory for me when you were saying someone that comes into the bar that says they don't like gin. And I love that you take that approach of like, I cook a lot. And when someone tells me they don't like a certain ingredient, it makes me want to prepare that ingredient for them and have them like it. I'm not a huge oyster fan, but sometimes I go to a restaurant and they're like, is there anything you don't eat? And I was like, not a big oyster guy. And sometimes the restaurant will bring me an oyster dish. I was like, well, that's kind of ballsy, but I appreciate yeah. it, you know, if they're standing behind it. And you got to do it within reason. I think like true hospitality, you got to give people what they want. But if they're open to it, if you've got a good rapport, maybe their second drink. But it's always funny because when people say, broad statements like that. I'm like, well, you haven't met all the gins. You don't know that. You haven't tasted them all. Like, they're very different. You, you use a metric system a lot right now. Is that true? Like the place I'm at, we work in metric. And I really see the value of it because, you know, especially coming up in Chicago, I'd have people sending me their recipes. You'd go over the most absurd measurements you'd get. I used to get a very good friend of mine, Tyler, for a, a menu I was doing years ago. I asked for people in the industry to send me recipes and he sent me a hanky panky riff. Okay, this is, I had forgotten about this until this just this moment. He had sent me a hanky panky riff and the recipe was like, oh, a skinny quarter ounce or a fat half ounce. And I'm like, oh, so like three quarters of an ounce? No, like a fat half. And I'm like, what are these absurd measurements we're using? Oh, that's really funny. Well, it's similar. You think about metric versus imperial. Most people use here, you know, bakers in the kitchen. It's all grams and, you know, whatnot, because it's more precise. I think it's easier to be more precise. Did I see that you studied chemistry? Yeah, yeah. I studied chemistry and classics. So chemistry and like Latin and Greek. Does chemistry come into play in your cocktail making ever? Yeah, constantly. It's actually the lens with which I view a lot of what, in terms of beverages that I do. And it helps filter out a lot of bullshit because <laughs> you'll get like, I can't tell you how many times I've had a supplier come in and they're like, oh, well, we rest this in stainless steel because the molecules are very excited after distillation and allows them to rest. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> You're like, actually, let me tell you how that happens. <laughs> no, no I'm, I'm too polite. But or even, oh, the magic of the barrel. And I'm like, no, it's extraction, oxidation and concentration. That's it, guys. There's no magic. That's really interesting. That's pretty cool to have that background and see how you incorporate it into 
what you do. I like that. Awesome. Thanks for sharing all that. That's great. I think I'm going out to dinner Saturday night, so maybe I'll order a hanky panky. Oh, you ought to. Is that like a true test? I've had so many classics, but I feel like I need to go back and do a lot of the classics again. And I feel like it's a good test. Not that I want to test it when I'm out to dinner of a, a bar program. Yeah, I think a lot of people talk about the daiquiri test or even the old fashioned test. But for me, definitely like I, I would love to see your hanky panky. All right. But we were talking a little bit before and I was explaining how a lot of our Beyond the Plate listeners know the podcast celebrates social impact and giving back with each of our guests. And it's no different for you all, the bartenders that we talk with, learning how you guys do it and what you all do is what keeps us going, to be quite honest. So we do want to give you a moment to shed some light on a certain cause or charitable organization, whatever you'd like, if you'd like to raise awareness for any. Yeah, I'll just briefly touch on two things that I think are really important, or three things maybe. You know, as a gay man in the industry, I was very lucky where I kind of cut my teeth and was able to be a beverage director and manage gay bars that also had really great cocktail programs and really good beer, bourbon programs and really got to do that in a space that was accepting and easy for me to work in. And it wasn't until I got into hotels that I kind of moved into a little bit more of that, I guess, more mainstream hospitality scene. And so I didn't quite realize that there's a big gap in visibility for queer bartenders, both creatively and just in terms of like on a leadership level. So for me, I've been really interested in different groups that have been promoting that and both, you know, there's been really good work done at like the most recent Tales where they had a lot of good events for this. You know, Glass has always been like working towards that. But more than anything, it's being driven by good individuals. But even seeing, you know, like so many beautiful, amazing queer people in Drink Masters on Netflix was like so thrilling. So to me, that's been like something that I've been interested in. And then the other thing that I think a lot of times it's not like as glamorous as these big causes. But for me, like a really big thing has been mentorship, both like just mentoring people as as much as I can that have reached out or asked in any way and really engaging with that and following up. I think back, I would not be doing what I'm doing today without an army of mentors. And just from all over people that took so much of their time to explain so many things that there's not like a good guidebook to this stuff. So I think really focusing on individual mentorship, although it's not prestigious is something that I've really been focusing on myself. I love it. I was going to say last week we had Will Gadara on the podcast talking about his new book, Unreasonable Hospitality, and a little bit about his journey through 11 Madison Park and mentorship was a thing with him and mentorship is a thing with a number of our guests. I think you're maybe the first one to speak about it on the bartender side, not to say that other bartenders we've spoken with don't find it important or haven't mentored plenty of people, but I appreciate you bringing that to light because I think mentorship is hugely important. I think you need to like really go out of your way to do it because everyone mentors people that like work with you. But for me, like so many of my mentors were people that I've never worked with. They were just people that really were okay and open to someone that they'd met once or twice casually being like, hi, can I talk to you for an hour and a half on the phone about this problem I'm having? Not necessarily in that way. But so for me, trying to be more active and available and proactively reach out to people and be like, hey, anything you need, please, I'm here to help you. Vlad, thanks, man. This was really great. It was good to chat. Next time I'm in DC, I definitely want to look you up. Thank you for taking the time to do this with us. Love everything that you stand for and the cocktail scene and your mentorship and all that good stuff. So keep up 
the great work. We're grateful for this incredible community that you're in. And thank you for everything you do. Yeah, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me. It's a lovely, lovely start to my day and love the work that you guys are doing. Keep it up. Awesome. All right. Thanks, man. Have a good rest of the day. To get the recipe from this episode, check out the episode notes in your podcast player or go to beyondtheplaypodcast.com. This episode is produced by myself, along with Ian Cohen, Joel Yetton, and Sean Petrosian. Find me and keep up to date with this podcast across all social media platforms at Uncappy's Plate or go to beyondplaypodcast.com. Beyond the Plate is on all the socials at BT Plate Podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on your listening site of choice. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Drink, a production of Beyond the Plate. I'm Cappy.